0: I have now reached a period of my life when I can give dates. I left Baltimore and went to live with Master Thomas Old at St. Michael's in March 1832. It was now more than seven years since I lived with him in the family of my old master on Colonel Lloyd's plantation. We of course were now almost entire strangers to each other. He was to me a new master and I to him a new slave. I was ignorant of his temper and disposition. He was equally so of mine. A very short time, however, brought us into full acquaintance with each other. I was made acquainted with his wife, not less than with myself. They were well-matched, being equally mean and cruel. I was now, for the first time, during a space of more than seven years, made to feel the painful gnawings of hunger, a something which I had not experienced before since I left Colonel Lloyd's plantation. It went hard enough with me then, when I could look back to no period at which I'd enjoyed sufficiency. It was tenfold harder after living in Master Hughes' family, where i had always had enough to eat, and of that which was good. I've said Master Thomas was a mean man, he was so. Not to give a slave enough to eat is regarded as the most aggravated development of meanness, even among slaveholders. The rule is, no matter how coarse the food, only let there be enough of it. This is the theory, and in the part of Maryland for which I came, it is a general practice, though there are many exceptions. Master Thomas gave us enough of neither coarse nor fine food. There were four slaves of us in the kitchen, my sister Eliza, my aunt Priscilla, Henny, and myself, and we were allowed less than a half a bushel of corn meal per week and very little else, either in the shape of meat or vegetables. It was not enough for us to subsist upon. We were therefore reduced to the wretched necessity of living at the expense of our neighbors. This we did by begging and stealing, whichever came in handy in the time of need the one being considered as legitimate as the other. A great many times have we poor creatures been nearly perishing with hunger, when food in abundance lay smoldering in the safe and smokehouse, and our pious mistress was aware of the fact, and yet that mistress and her husband would kneel every morning and pray that God would bless them in basket and store. Bad as all slaveholders are, we seldom meet one destitute of every element of character commanding respect. My master was one of this rare sort. I do not know of a one single noble act ever performed by him. The leading trait in his character was meanness, and if there were any other element in his nature, it was made subject to this. He was mean, and like most other mean men, he lacked the ability to conceal his meanness. Captain All was not born a slaveholder. He had been a poor man, master of only a bay craft. He came into possession of all his slaves by marriage, and of all men, adopted slaveholders are the worst. He was cruel, but cowardly. He commanded without firmness. In the enforcement of his rules he was at times rigid and at times lax. At times he spoke to his slaves with the firmness of Napoleon and the fury of a demon. At other times he might well be mistaken for an inquirer who had lost his way. He did nothing of himself. He might have passed for a line but for his ears. In all things noble which he attempted, his own meanness shone most conspicuous. His heirs, words, and actions were the heirs, words, and actions of born slaveholders, and being assumed were awkward enough. He was not even a good imitator. He possessed all the disposition to deceive, but wanted the power. Having no resources within himself, he was compelled to be the copyist of many. And being such, he was so the victim of inconsistency. And of consequence, he was an object of contempt and was held as such even by his slaves. The luxury of having slaves of his own to wait upon him was something new and unprepared for. He was a slaveholder without the ability to hold slaves. He found himself incapable of managing his slaves either by force, fear, or fraud. We seldom called him master. We generally called him Captain Old and were hardly disposed to title him at all. I doubt not that our conduct had much to do with making him appear awkward and of consequence, fretful. Our want of reverence for him must have perplexed him greatly. He wished to have us call him master, but lacked the firmness necessary to command us to do so. His wife used to insist upon us calling him so, but to no purpose. In August 1832, my master attended a Methodist camp held in the Bayside, Talbot County, and there experienced religion. I indulged a faint hope that his conversion would lead him to emancipate his slaves, and that, if he did not do this, it would at any rate make him more kind and humane. I was disappointed in both of these respects. It neither made him to be more humane to his slaves nor to emancipate him. If it had any effect on his character, it made him more cruel and hateful in all his ways. For I believe him to have been much worse a much worse man after his conversion than before. Prior to his conversion, he relied upon his own depravity to shield and sustain him in his savage barbarity. But after his conversion, he found religious sanction and support for his slaveholding cruelty. He made the greatest pretensions to piety. His house was a house of prayer. He prayed morning, noon, and night. He very soon distinguished himself among his brethren and was soon made a class leader and exhorter. His activity in revivals was great. He proved himself an instrument in the hands of the church in converting many souls. His house was the preacher's home. They used to take great pleasure in coming there to put up. For a while he starved us, he stuffed them. We have had three or four preachers there at a time. The names of those who used to come most frequently while I lived there were Mr. Storks, Mr. Ewey, Mr. Humphrey, and Mr. Hickey. I've also seen Mr. George Cookman at our house. We slaves love Mr. Cookman. We believe him to be a good man. We thought him instrumental in getting Mr. Samuel Harrison, a very rich slaveholder, to emancipate his slaves. And by some means got the impression that he was laboring to effect the emancipation of all the slaves. When he was at our house, we were sure to be called into prayers. When the others were there, we were sometimes called in and sometimes not. Mr. Cookman took more notice of us than the, either of the other ministers. He could not come among us without betraying his sympathy for us, and stupid as we were, we had the sagacity to see it. While I lived in Ma- with my master in St. Michael's, there was a white young man, a Mr. Wilson, who proposed to keep a Sabbath school for the instruction of such slaves as might be disposed to learn to read the New Testament. We met but three times when Mr. West and Mr. Fairbanks, both class leaders, with many others, came in upon us with sticks and other missiles, drove us off, and forbade us to ever meet again. This ended our little Sabbath school on the pious town of St. Michael's. I've said my master found religious sanction for his cruelty. As an example, I will state one of many facts going to prove the charge. I've seen him tie up a lame young woman and whip her with a heavy cowskin upon her naked shoulders, causing the warm red blood to drip. And in justification of the bloody deed, he would quote this passage of scripture. He that knoweth his master's will and doeth it not shall be beaten with many stripes. Master would keep this lacerated young woman tied up in this horrid situation for four or five hours at a time. I have known him to tie her up early in the morning and whip her before breakfast, leave her, go to his store, return at dinner and whip her again. Cutting her in the plates is already made raw with his cruel lash. The secret of Master's cruelty toward Henny is found in the fact of her being almost helpless. When quite a child, she fell into the fire and burned herself horribly. Her hands were so burnt that she never got the full use of them. She could do very little but bear heavy burdens. She was to master a bill of expense, and he was a mean man. She was a constant offense to him. He seemed desirous of getting the poor girl out of existence. He gave her away once to a sister, but being a poor gift, she was not disposed to keep her. Finally, my benevolent master, to use his own words, set her adrift to take care of herself. Here was a recently converted man, holding upon the mother and at the same time turning out her helpless child to starve and die. Master Thomas was one of the many pious slaveholders who hold slaves for the very charitable purpose of taking care of them. My master and myself had quite a number of differences. He found me unsuitable to his purpose. My city life, he said, had a very pernicious effect on me. It had almost ruined me for every good purpose and fitted me for everything which was bad. One of my greatest faults was that of letting his horse run away and go down to his father-in-law's farm, which was about five miles from St. Michael's. I would then have to go after it. My reason for this kind of carelessness or carefulness was that I could always get something to eat when I went down there. Master William Hamilton, my master's father-in-law, always gave his slaves enough to eat. I never left there hungry, no matter how great the need of my speedy return. Master Thomas, at length, said he would stand it no longer. I had lived with him nine months, during which time he had given me a number of severe whippings, all to no good purpose. He resolved to put me out, as he said, to be broken. And, for this purpose, he let me for one year to a man named Edward Covey. Mr. Covey was a poor man, a farm renter. He rented the place upon which he lived, as also the hands with which he tilled it. Mr. Covey had acquired a very high reputation for breaking young slaves, and his reputation was of immense value to him. It enabled him to get his farm tilled with much less expense to himself than he, than he could have it done without such a reputation." Some slaveholders thought it not much loss to allow Mr. Covey to have their slaves for one year, for the sake of training to which they were subjected, without any other compensation. He could hire young help with great ease. In consequence of his reputation, added to the natural good qualities of Mr. Covey, he was a professor of religion, a pious soul, a member and a class leader of the Methodist Church. All of this added weight to his reputation as a nigger breaker. I was aware of all the facts having been made acquainted with them by a young man who had lived there. I nevertheless made the change gladly for I was sure of getting enough to eat, which is not the smallest consideration to a hungry man.